Welcome to the Rambling Runner Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Chittam, and this is the podcast for all the dedicated amateur runners out there who are working hard to get better while balancing running with the rest of our lives. Oh man, today's show, I have been waiting for it. I am so excited to talk with Leah Yingling today. Uh, before we do, I do want to give a quick shout out to our two sponsors today, UCAN and Running Warehouse. Go check out the links for both of those great companies in the show notes to save some dough, to help out the show, and to help yourself out some high-quality nutrition, and some shoes. But let's get into it with Leah Yinkling. Leah, welcome to the show. Hey, Matt. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to chat today. Me too. Leah, you're, you are not only one of my favorite runners to follow, um, not only on Strava, but on live streams, one of my favorite sports media members as well, someone who's uh, making plenty of appearances on the Single Track Podcast, as well as on you know Trail and Ultra live streams on YouTube and on the internet and just doing so many amazing things. So this has been a long time coming. And also someone who's made an enormous announcement over the yep. past two weeks. Leah, you're, you're, I thought your 2022 was super busy because you had a string of amazing races, especially in the first half of the year. 2023, maybe you're not racing quite as much, but it is no less busy, it seems like. I'm glad you feel the same way I do because, yeah, I've been – racing less this year and I've never felt busier in my entire life. So I think it's a good place to be. I always say like, I work well under deadlines. I work well under stress. And I think that's what a lot of this year has thrown at me. So it's been really exciting. And yeah, I couldn't be more happy with where I'm at currently, but exciting times. All right. So quick intro for people who don't know you. You are one of the best trail ultra runners in the country. And with this being a amateur running podcast, usually I don't have people at your level of running on the show. But the part of the reason we're doing this is because you don't have the typical, hey, I'm one of the best runners in the country backgrounds. You didn't run in college, uh, at least on the team. You definitely ran in college, but not for a college team. And how you've been able to progress, you've been doing this concurrently with a really important job. So it's, again, <laughs> while you are someone who runs at the level of a professional you are not merely a professional runner. In fact, you could probably do without the running income and be just fine considering <laughs> your current job and what, you, what you're doing alongside it. So just want to set the stage for the people who don't know you and know your um, your background as the, as the, you know, shoot last year, six at Western States, top American woman at that race, which I guess says it all, but I know at the same time, this may <laughs> just be a stepping stone to greater things in the future. But even if it isn't, it's still, you've done an amazing thing and had an amazing career already um, in your, you know, with what has already come with that said let's focus on some of the early years because i think this is really interesting when people think about runners who are at your level i think there's a lot of preconceived notions that come with what the early years must have been like and so many times we hear that's just not quite true and in your case that's certainly the case so um i guess let's start i guess a little bit earlier than than your your college years just talk to me about your teenage athletic life and what that entailed yeah, so I grew up in um, Western Pennsylvania in a town, Johnstown, and it's a little bit outside of Pittsburgh. And home is a really special place to me. I don't get there quite as often living out here in Salt Lake City, Utah. Um, but yeah, it's really where I planted my roots. I have three sisters, and we're all really close in age. My parent, I'm, I'm a twin, and my parents had four of us all under the age of three, I believe. Um, so we were all in high school together. Was, we were in ninth grade, ninth grade, 10th grade, 12th grade. And I would say that's really when my running began was right around really I, probably seventh grade. I started running my first few miles when I saw my oldest sister um, start doing that. But up until then, I was a soccer player, a basketball player. My dad coached a lot of our sports. So did my mom. So it was really very much a family affair. And it really took my um, older sisters joining the cross country team in high school to inspire me to figure out, okay, like maybe this is something I'll find some enjoyment in. It was like a team of misfits of sorts. And I felt like my sisters and I kind of fit right in and it was really exciting. So I say to this day that my freshman year of cross country in high school, Still one of my favorite athletic memories to date. Um, I, we all, my sisters and I were four-sevenths of the varsity team, and um, we were four of the five placing uh, women on the team that got second place at our district meet that then qualified us for the Pennsylvania State Championships. And I don't think there's any more special feeling than getting to do that with your sisters, with your family, with your parents watching. And, I mean, I think I even, um, in that district meet, I – tripped 
feet from the finish line. And my sisters were like out there cheering me on, like, get up, come on, keep going. So there's nothing better than that support. And I will get into this, but I think that community, that camaraderie is something that's really drawn me to where I find myself in ultra running these days. Um, yeah, so got my start in high school, um, was very much a pretty average high school runner. Of my sisters, I was third best of the four, so kind of right in the middle, um, ran through high school, got hold a lot on, of, yeah. I, I, I have to pause there. <laughs> oh, so many times, like, we, we make comparisons. It's literally the definition of like, all right, this is relative, right? Because <laughs> who are we comparing ourselves to? Two of your sisters, Went to West Point. So listen, when you say I'm like, I'm subpar compared to my sisters, that's being like, I'm not that great. I'm like this. I'm like, I'm the second best basketball player in my family. It's like, well, your brother's Michael Jordan. So that's not the worst thing in the world. Yeah, I've got a, a pretty motivated family. I think when my sisters uh, committed to, they actually went to the Naval Academy, and they'll probably want me to correct that because there's a oh big rivalry between Navy and Army. I can't believe I just did that. I knew that too. I was like Annapolis. I said West Point. Oh my god. No, so I'm just I'm I'm correcting it for them. Um, well, I could, I'm glad you I could care me less because I'm I'm embarrassed that I made that mistake. Um, but yeah, people always would say like, oh, your two older sisters went to the Naval Academy. What about you and Kelsey, my twin sister? And we're like, absolutely not. Like, not a life for us. And looking back, yeah, maybe we could have done it. But um, I think we were motivated in our own way. My twin sister is into the arts, a opera singer and music therapist and follows that amazing path. And my older sisters are both still in the Navy doing great things. And yeah, pretty inspiring people to surround myself with and to motivate myself by, especially even starting in those, those high school years. So let's talk about that family dynamic. So you have four girls who are really close in age, who are also high achievers, both, you know, you know, from a sport perspective, but obviously from an intellectual perspective, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, going to Annapolis, and that's one of the hardest schools to get in. I guess mm -hmm. it's more than just a school, but it's one of the hardest schools to get into in the country. So, yeah. and then you went to Carnegie Mellon, to be an engineer, I mean, that is also an incredibly <laughs> challenging school to get into. So talk to me, I guess, more on the athletic side at first. But if you want to, you know, bring in the academic side or any other dy dynamic as well, uh, just about like the enjoyment of these activities versus or with kind of the competitive nature that can be inherent with, you know, tight knit groups, whether that's family or just like close knit friends. Yeah, I think for me, um, I'm, I've always enjoyed academics in high school into college. Like that was something I was really drawn to and trying to find a pretty rigorous degree that I could go into. I ended up majoring in biomedical engineering, but it was, it was stressful. And something that was my outlet in college was running. I actually didn't really enjoy racing at all in high school. I had so much race day anxiety. Most of my races, I'd end up in tears for one reason or another. Maybe one of my sisters beat me and they weren't supposed to, or maybe I just had a hard day. But like so many nerves around racing that by the time I hit college, I was, I wasn't probably good enough to be on the cross country team when I entered. And I was like, you know what? I just need to run for myself run for my own reasons and run to decompress from the academic workload that I had. And I think that was the first time in my life I actually found enjoyment in running. Um, in high school, it felt like a little, a little stressful, like, oh, I should be doing it because my sisters are doing it. And like, we were pretty good. But college was the first time that I was finally doing it for myself. And I think there's something to be said for that is finding it, doing it for all the right reasons, I would say. And I think to this day, that's one of the reasons I have had longevity in the sport is because I feel like I'm doing it for all the right reasons and it's where my heart is. And anytime it starts to stray from those right reasons, I take a step back and reevaluate and say like, okay, why am I doing this? Let's recalibrate. Yeah, that's a great point. Now, when you were in high school, did you train like, or was it just like, I mean, just say, let me rephrase that. <laughs> did you train outside of like team practices? Bare, like a little bit. So ours, we probably uh, had team practices like three days a week. And then my sisters and I would run, you know, three to maximum six miles a couple of the other days a week. And then I know in high school, our longest runs, our longest run ever, I think was 10 miles. Um, and we'd go out to this trail called the Ghost Town Trail. That was about 20 minutes from our house in Dilltown, Pennsylvania. It's this small little railroad town. Um, there used to be a railroad there for 
the, I don't, I think it was like the steel industry at that time. Um, and to this day, every time when I go home, my mom will bike next to me and I'll go for a long run on this path. But yeah, 10 to 12 miles was just extreme to us back then. And I love going back these days because it's usually an easy run and my mom comes alongside me and it's just special to reminisce on what those memories were doing growing up that way. That's amazing. All right. So, so you go to college and you have this background of like, all right, ran with my sisters. Our team was really good. And we had this tight knit thing going on. But in college, like, again, they're not there. Mm-hmm. And it's not like you were training a lot outside of the structures of the team. So it's not like you had this bedrock of like, hey, I run every day. That's just kind of like my mm-hmm. habit. So what about going to college brought you to running as like, like you, how you just described it? Like, hey, I'm going to do it for the love, for the right reasons. Yeah. When it seems like in high school, again, you were, it was really good. But at the same time, like it didn't click in that same way. So why did you kind of go back to it in college when you could have been doing a whole host of other things? Yeah, yeah totally. Just that decompression and kind of that the more strict nature of it to some degree. And I I will tell you, like, I knew nothing about running training back then. Like when I would run in college, I'd probably do five to seven miles most days. And I was running as hard as I could always at this like moderate hard effort, because I thought that's what you do when you exercise is, yeah, you run how hard as you can for as long as you can. And that's it. Um, so I did not know a thing about running because I don't run that way at all these days. Um, but yeah, I was totally mental health, complete mental health, gave me that balance of the day, gave me, broke up the work, broke up my days. And it was something that I could invest myself in and see a goal through. So I think it was my junior year of college when I ran my first half marathon. I signed up for the Pittsburgh half marathon and it was this, um, just goal to myself. I had, um, what was it? When I, in 2010, I was a victim of sexual assault and after my freshman year of college or running on a trail at home, um, when I was visiting family and it was a totally traumatic experience for me at that time. And it really changed how I thought about running. Cause it was that first moment in my life when I had finally settled in of doing running for all the right reasons for myself as this mental health practice gave me peace of mind. And it was in this instant, it was completely taken away from me by a stranger in broad daylight, nonetheless. So in my happy place, in my comfort, something so close and near and dear to me was taken away. So it took a lot for me to overcome that over the course of the next year during my sophomore year of college. Um, So I set a goal for myself, my junior year of college, that was Let's put together a training plan, get to the start line and get to the finish line of a half marathon and prove to yourself and prove to the world and prove to your attacker that, you know, he can't take running away from you. And he's, I'm not going to let that impact running and what it is for me for the rest of my life. Um, So I think for me, that was a really big transition period of recognizing what running was to me and where it was taking me and the fact that I could use that um, to really overcome one of the hardest moments of my life. You know, thank you for, for sharing that. Obviously you didn't have to do that. And um, I really appreciate you kind of stepping into that because I know it's something that affects a lot of, a lot of women um, and something that, you know, if we can talk about this a little bit, I think we'll probably help people who've gone through this as you, in retrospect, especially now, you know, looking back on it, you know, over a decade later, um, when you look back on that, why why do you think that you decide to continue running after that? Not only continue running, but take it to like a way different level in terms of like doing it and following it, and just like it's such a major part of your life now, as opposed to not merely just not, not like stepping away to be like, all right, like as you mentioned, like hey, this is now, I'm doing this to prove my attacker wrong mm-hmm. or that my part attacker couldn't take this away from me. Again, you could have easily just been like, all right, like I just want to do other things. Like I just mm-hmm. don't want to be living in this, this fear and the PTSD of this and all mm-hmm. of that. So looking back on it now, why do you think you just not only decide to stay, continue running, but completely invest in it? Mm-hmm. It was, it was part of me. And I think I felt like giving it up was losing a big chunk of who I was and also a big chunk of what I love to do and then a big chunk of my mental health. Um, So while it was really challenging at first and even to this day, I'm, I'm fearful on the trails. I'm jumpy on the trails. I get jealous of my husband when he goes out for a trail run and has zero fear because as a woman, 
who experience something like that, I'm never going to live fear-free again on the trails. And that's okay. And I live with that and I'm at terms with that. Um, but yeah, it was never going to be something I was going to give up in the face of a challenge. It was something that I knew if I wanted to keep in my life, I was going to have to work at it. And I was completely okay with that because it was such a big chunk of who I was and really what I needed to move on. And as you, as you were able to move on from that or work through that experience, um, Again, I'm, and I don't want to minimize what's going on at all. Mm-hmm. I, I just want to like try to step into like what what was going through in your life at that moment. Again, you have this you're one of the most challenging schools in the country. Not only that, but one of the most challenging majors at one of the most challenging schools in the country. So you had a very stressful life. If everything running was going perfectly, it would have been a very stressful and demanding life. So what did you do in your life from that moment on in running to Put yourself in a safe place, um, both mentally and physically, because you mentioned I've heard you talk about this before on other podcasts that like you usually just don't, you don't run alone a lot. Mm-hmm. You're always running with people. Yeah. Yeah. I actually trained for a lot of my first half marathon and marathon on the treadmill, actually. Um, and I think a part of that was just I was living in a city at the time. I was, you know, just never sleeping as much as a college student should. And so working long hours and whatnot and um, running at weird hours as a result on the treadmill in my dorm gym. So I, I ended up actually training quite a bit for those uh, my mar- first half marathon my junior year and then my first marathon my senior year on the treadmill. Um, but also like getting in a routine when I did run outdoors, I would have a route that I felt comfortable with. Um my mom got me some pepper spray after I experienced my attack, so I'd take that out with me. But I had a route that I was comfortable with. I knew well. I felt generally safe on um, or the track at my college as well. So I worked with what I had, and I made it work for me. Um, there was still, I think I've even said this probably like annually since it all happened, that there's still those runs that I complete that I am just very proud of myself at the end of like a solo 20 miler on the trails. If I do that, I finish it and I'm so proud. And I remember feeling that way very often in my first half marathon, my first marathon training cycles. Like if I got out on the Pittsburgh streets and in the city parks for even like six miles, I'd finish that just feeling so proud of myself because, you know, I was doing a lot of the training on the treadmill just because it was a safe place. So being able to kind of these baby steps and progression, slow progression to the point where I'm at today where you, I can run a pretty solo long distance on the trail and be almost entirely comfortable. When you were in, in college, did you differentiate between trail and road running the way like, like the way like you obviously do now as someone who like basically races on the trail exclusively? Yeah, no, not at all. I actually did. I, I did exclusively uh, road running through my junior year of college, my senior year of college. And then I actually don't think I touched the trails really until maybe 2014, 2014, I think. Um, So after college, I lived in Pittsburgh for a year. And then I moved to Washington, D.C. for my research position at the time. I was working at the National Institutes of Health. And I lived in Bethesda, Maryland. And there was a nice towpath right outside my door that went all the way to Georgetown. And it was very much a towpath. It wasn't. Yeah, it's similar. So there's a CNO and then there's the Capitol Crescent Trail, which is like a little branch of that. Um, So it's not really a trail trail, but that was that was my gateway. Um, And so it wasn't really until I um, lived in the Bethesda and DC area that I started investigating the trails a little bit more. And my older sisters who are at the Naval Academy, they had both, I think at this time, run a 50 miler. My one sister ran JFK 50 miler, and then my oldest sister ran Bighorn 52 miler out in Wyoming. Um, I think both around their like junior, senior years of college. So I knew what ultra running was. I knew what trail running was. And once I got to that DC area, that was something that I really wanted to explore a little bit more for myself was find a community, make some friends, not just road run and see nature because living in like within city walls can be a lot sometimes. 
Hey folks, are you tired of the spike and crash and GI distress that comes with sugar-based sports nutrition? Well, it's time to give UCAN a try. UCAN energy, energy powders, gels, and bars utilize steady-release carbs instead of sugar so you don't feel the highs and lows in energy. I use a scoop of UCAN powder every single morning as part of my breakfast. Also, the Edge Energy Gels. Oh my gosh, they are the best. They have that consistent fuel. They also taste fantastic, and they're almost like a liquid gel. They go down so smooth without any lingering aftertaste in your mouth. The top marathoners in the U.S., Emily Sisson, Kira D'Amato, Sarah Hall, Emma Bates, all rely on UCAN to fuel their training and their racing. Emma fueled her fifth place finish at Boston with one Edge Energy Gel every 5K and felt strong throughout the race without experiencing any GI distress. UCAN's award-winning Edge Energy Gels just last longer than other gels and provides a more consistent feeling of energy, all with zero sugar. Here's your chance, because UCAN is offering Rambling Runner listeners an exclusive chance to try six energy samples for free. So six energy gel Edge samples for free. All you pay is the shipping cost. Head over to UCAN.co forward slash rambling to, to claim this exclusive offer. That link is in the show notes. That's ucan.co forward slash rambling for the Edge Energy Gel offer. Also, if you're already a fan of UCAN and you just want to save 20% on all their products, then just use ramble, code rambling at checkout to do just that. So when, when, you, when your sister's dove into ultra running like that, especially trail ultras, mm-hmm. Was that like one of those things like, okay, if they're doing that, like I have to follow in these footsteps. Like, was there like an intense gravitational pull after that? Yeah. It's funny because they ran marathons throughout college. They were on the marathon team at the Naval Academy and they just kind of took one step further because a couple of their friends on the team were exploring the ultra world as well. So I saw them do that. It didn't exactly inspire me at the time, but I will say, um, once I started doing more marathons, um, after college at that point, I was like, okay, trail running looks fun. The next distance up from a marathon is a 50 K. I think I can do that. Um, so it was the first time that thought crossed my mind was probably 2014, um, when I was still living in Maryland and I committed to myself that 2015 would be the year that I ran my first 50 K. And right around that time, I met my now husband, Mike, who also went to the Naval Academy, knew my sisters were on the marathon and ultra running team there as well. And I think I met him February 2015. And the first night we chatted, I was telling him I was training for a 50K. And I knew that he had been running ultras for probably five years at that point. And we hit it off. We pretty much started dating that very next week and would travel that entire first summer together. We were long distance, but would meet halfway somewhere you know, Pennsylvania, Maryland, Virginia, and run a trail race on the weekends, which to this day is still one of my favorite summers ever because I was getting to know him, but also getting to know like all these different like little trail running hubs up and down the East Coast. That is very cool. Yes, February 20th. How funny. My first, yeah. my first date with my wife was on February 22nd. Um, oh. Yeah, my, her dog beat me to the house by one day. The first time she ever oh. left the dog alone in the house was our first date. She came home to like... <laughs> You know, like blinds, like ripped down. She's like, I gotta put them in a crate from now on. Um, At least for like the first week. Um, (laughs) So, looking back now on like your youth or, you know, early, maybe a youth and be like your your, your teenage years, your early 20s, not just you, but also your sisters as well. Could you look back now and, and be able to, like, you know, with the expert eye that you have now about running, look back and be like, okay, there are clues here as what was to come, at least the, the potential that was inside in terms of like, whether it was fatigue resistance, being able to like, just run all day, like just this boundless energy, what, whatever the things may be. And it certainly can't be, doesn't have to be limited to those characteristics. But if you were to look back now and maybe like, you know, Michael J. Fox style, like go back in time and like live in the house next door to like, you know, where you used to live. Do you think you'd be able to like highlight things that maybe showed that kind of potential inside? Yeah, actually, I haven't thought much about this, but now that you bring it up, my mind does reflect back to um, my two years that I was doing my research job in Bethesda. I would work research from like eight to four every day. And then my apartment um, was right next to this little wine shop. And then I research doesn't pay well. And especially when you're fresh out of college, research does not pay well at all. 
And so I'm uh, living in the DC area is expensive. And I was like, man, I can't afford this. I need another part-time job. So I would work research eight to four, eight to three forty-five. walk down the street, work at the wine shop from four to 10. And then I would work out from like, I'd go run on the treadmill from like 10 to 1130 oh most nights and then do it all again the next day. And I ended up moving in with my sister in Arlington, Virginia at some point during that two years. So I also then had a, a commute and I just remember her being like, are you really going to the gym after you're done working at the wine shop? And I didn't work there every day. I probably worked there like at least like three or four days a week. But I, I remember those were long days, but I was training for a marathon at the time. And I was like, this is just what I got to do. And this looking like back, looking red light of like huge endurance potential. Yeah. I had Nigel McGregor on on the show um, <laughs> a few weeks ago, and he was doing the same thing. It was like he was going to school during the day down as a USF. And then he was working after that. And then he was getting he was running at 10 o'clock at night. So he was going mm-hmm. was like one to one. Like, boom, boom, boom. Every day. And it's like. No wonder you're like a sub three hour marathoner now. Like no wonder, like it was so. It's like at the time you're just like oh, I'm just trying to fit it in. But like yeah, you look at back at it now, it must be like well yeah. Like so, I guess the moral of the story is what the first moral of the story for my like at birth, like what minute twenty four of the podcast <laughs> is if you're doing this and you're listening to the show, you're probably going to be a really good <laughs> marathoner and ultra runner if you can handle that schedule. I know. Looking back, I'm like, I probably should have had better balance. But I mean, man, when you're 24, you recover great. I I mean, yeah, I couldn't do that these days. But then See, that probably is, was a good sign. Well, this is funny because this is like an obvious this podcast is not about me. But it's it's funny, like <laughs> just compare and contrast because I at that age, I also had like a pretty demanding schedule. I had basically had two full time jobs. So I mm-hmm. worked full time as assistant director of admissions at a college. And then I coached basketball as well. So it was like both of them were full time jobs. Both of them had like part time pay, <laughs> and like, what, what did I do athletically? Nothing. I didn't do anything because I was tired all the time. Yeah. I did no running. I was like, I gained all this weight anyway. So it was like, my twenties were a complete athletic disaster. You're running at ten o'clock at night. I would have been like, oh hell no, I'm not doing that. Um, so I guess this is like a clear sign. So again, if you're listening to this, people, and you're doing that, if you're listening to this at ten forty five at night on a treadmill, stick with it. You got so much potential. <laughs> All right. Let's talk about you you diving into trail races. So, you know, age 24, age 25, uh, if if uh, ultra sign up is correct, um, you, you basically dive in like head first and just start running races constantly. You you detailed it before talking about like you met Mike and all of a sudden you're running all of these races as well. When did it turn for you, whether it's during those summers or later, it turned from like, hey, I, this is just enjoyment. I love this. Yeah. To something potentially more from a goal perspective. Yeah, we um I moved to Utah. I I think Utah was the biggest transition in my trail and ultra running. So I lived in the DC area until 2015, 2016. Um, and then I uh, was applying to grad school and I moved to Utah for grad school. I was deciding between a bunch of programs. Most of them I just knew I wanted to get west um and the university of utah was one of those programs and i think that was the biggest shift in my running so up to that point i had done a handful of 50ks on the east coast mostly in virginia and maryland and sub moved to utah 30 50ks yeah. sub 430 <laughs> i know those early ones they were good yeah the they east coast fast as hell, yeah. <laughs> that's really good i know it it, it didn't it was fun. Like when I first did my, uh, the first 50K I did was the Bell Mead 50K in Richmond, Virginia, which I actually don't think exists anymore, but it was really cool. I treated it like it was a marathon, but just, you know, maybe tacked on an extra long run on the weekends. Um, didn't know anything about nutrition and how you should fuel these races and got by. And yeah, it actually was a good result looking back on it. Like very very solid result for my first 50k but i think in utah was really where it took off because i mean east coast and west coast running is different in a variety of ways um something that we have in utah that we don't quite have on the east coast is just these long sustained uphills and downhills and like you it's hard to run flat here like even when i'm training for a marathon cycle we don't have the best 
flat road options here. And I'm always like, oh, where can I just run pancake flat? Because our options are like, you're always going up or you're always going down, which is good for some, for some marathon courses, but um, it's great for ultra running. Yeah, that's for sure. <laughs> so as you, so you moved to Utah, you're now at elevation. You've, you're living right next to enormous mountains, but you're also in the Salt Lake City area, um, which is you know a, a great place to be. So you have a lot of options here. You're also, again, you, you have a demanding career. Mm-hmm. So talk to me about the push and pull of not only having demanding a career, but you will have career goals as well. Mm-hmm. And, and everything that's, that, that, that um, gets folded into that. So how have you progressed as a professional in light of your running in doing so in a way that doesn't sacrifice the professional side, right? Like not going to, again, I can say, I can say this personal experience. I've plenty of times, like I would go to work, like super tired from like, Oh, it rain in the morning. And like the first two hours of the day, I'm like, wasn't really like, wasn't great at my job. And I'm like coasting at my desk. Again, these are jobs I no longer work. So I can say this <laughs> out loud, but like, you don't have one of those jobs. You have a mm-hmm. very important job. So how does how did that work for you as you started amping up the menace on your training and not only doing that, but also literally, you know, heading skyward on a lot of these runs? Yeah, that's that's a good question, because I, I've been thinking about that a lot lately is just the ebbs and flows of my work life balance. And recently it's been so high and I, I am trying to figure that balance out better. So I, I don't have it perfect. And for a couple of years, so I work for a, um, a heart arrhythmia medical device company in the field of electrophysiology. I'm a biomedical engineer by training and I'm in a pretty clinical role where I am in charge of all the technology launches our new technology launches that go out in the Utah, Idaho and Montana area. Um, so I train the electrophysiologists. I train our clinical team, um, I upskill our clinical team and a whole host of other boring things. It does not sound like a clock in, clock out job. Exactly. Exactly. So um, prior to to this. To all my friends who work at running stores, I love you. This is not I work at a running store in Ashland and then I go run afterwards. Yeah. Yeah. This is, um, it's unpredictable. So the role I had before this, I was uh, called a clinical specialist in the same field and you're your work is predicted by physician's schedule. There's a lot of add-on procedures. You might start at 7 a.m. You might finish, you know, at 7 p.m., but you might also be done at 2 p.m. one day. So it's it's a balance because it's unpredictable. So you fit it in when you can. I'm not a morning runner. I never have been. I am a morning runner if I'm meeting friends, um, which is nice for my accountability, but I'm mostly an evening runner, which is there's pros and cons to that because some days if I'm exhausted from the work day, um, running is the last thing I want to do. But luckily I've got a really supportive partner who like drags me off the couch and is like, come on, you're not going to regret this. And I'm like, you're right, but I hate you right now. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but currently in my job, um, yeah, it's wild. It's tough. I, um, like I mentioned, I'm in charge of a Utah, Idaho, Montana area. And like, for example, last week was, a week where my balance was completely off kilter and I'm in the thickest week of my Western States training. And I returned from a full week in Vancouver and then I went straight into Western States training camp. And then I got home, we got, we drove to Auburn. I got home 1230 in the morning, Monday into Tuesday of this past week. And I was like, I'm so happy I get to be home this week. And 9am the next morning, I get a call that is, we're going to be launching a technology in Billings, Montana tomorrow. Can you get there? And I'm on a flight, flight to Billings, Montana, 1030 that night and was there all through Friday, got back Friday morning at 630 in the morning. So it's rolling with the punches. It's, you know, resting and respecting the rest when I have it. But then when I am on and I am running and I'm working hard, like my effort is there. So like this past weekend had two great long runs, had time to myself. It was amazing. Got out with a bunch of friends and making sure those are really quality because I know sometimes during the week work's going to take priority and that's okay. 
Yeah, and we should say you're you're in Vancouver because you were part of the Lululemon launch that we're going to talk about <laughs> later. We people listen to the show, we've already heard the podcast with Stephanie Flippin. It was the same launch. Leah is part of that <laughs> that same unit, which is doing amazing and really interesting things over the next year. Um, <laughs> and we'll definitely be talking about that in a little bit. But again, so you already had a lot of travel. It wasn't like, hey, we can go visit Vancouver because they have a lot of nice brew pubs. Like she was doing all this all this wild stuff up there. So this is really exciting, and I, and I love hearing about like again on this show we talk to a lot of people who run you know, with work, right? Try mm-hmm. to figure out how I'm going to do it. And a lot of jobs are very different. A lot of people we talk to who balance this out end up doing the morning side of things mm-hmm. in, in part because not that they love it, but a lot of times just because like, hey, I can predict the mornings. Yes. Right? I can't predict what's going to happen at night, not only from a work perspective, but like whether it's family stuff or like how I feel, right? Mm-hmm. Like talk to me about what it's like for you just like getting ready to do that evening run, right? In terms of like, all right, balancing you know when your meals are Mm -hmm. and your snacks and making sure that like you're actually ready to run physically that you're not exhausted and that you're warmed up and ready to go and like hey i'm running trails like was that mean i'm running in the dark now like Mm -hmm. you know how how, just talk walk me through the logistics again not merely as like hey this is already an incredible thing to be running after work for like the amount of mileage you put in Mm -hmm. but also like you care so much about your performance so you're also Mm -hmm. not only trying to get out there but you're trying to maximize your time out there for these running goals which i think is really is is an incredible thing to try to to hold with both hands Mm -hmm. yeah uh so i'm coached by megan roach and i've been coached by her since 2017 and something she always tells me when in my running log whenever she sees like i've had a long work day and then i go and put in a workout you know hour and a half worth of running she's like this is like your life is fatigue resistance. And I really couldn't agree more because there's a lot of research on just mental exhaustion and like performing like cognitive tasks um, as mental performance practice for racing and endurance um, and competitive endurance environments. And I think that is how I am when I get to my evening run or evening workout. It's like I've put in a day's work and my mind is slightly fried. Um, and I, I think it's kind of part of the process. And part of the reason I thrive in the late stages of races is because I'm just really used to that. I'm really used to like working when fatigued, uh, working hard when fatigued. And I will say I have every time I drink a coffee after 3 p.m. and I'm with a friend, they're like, oh, my God, I could never do that. So I normally have an afternoon coffee, which definitely facilitates my evening run. And my husband and I laugh whenever um, we tell people about our schedule because especially in the summer the extended daylight is I mean I love it but it makes us the worst versions of ourselves where we are eating dinner at 10 o'clock at night and going to bed at like 11 and we're monsters but it works (laughs) oh my god I man dinner at 10 o'clock it's like with with me with me and my two my two kids, I can just call Lily more than now eight and eleven respectively. Um it's like we're dinner at five. Yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, talking about this. We're having dinner at ten. I'm like, I don't even I can't relate to this. Like I think dinner I think ten o'clock is my fifth meal. You know, Taco had yeah. fourth meal for a while. I think I'm at fifth meal at ten o'clock. Yeah, we're like I would say on average in the summer I'm running from like six thirty to eight thirty most nights. Um and then dinner probably like roughly nine to 10 time frame. And yeah, it's, it's funny. Um, anytime we eat dinner before eight o'clock, we're, we're like, man, we're so proud of ourselves right now, (laughs) but I do love a morning run. I feel like that is actually when I feel like my best self. So I've incorporated a little bit more of that, but not as much as I should. Well, you bring up a great point about like the fatigue resistance day and then running at the end of the day, um, as maybe lackluster as that feeling may be when you're heading out the door you bring up a good point though about like mm-hmm. this does have like some Ryan Holiday mm-hmm. schools the way kind of feel to it of like hey this is not maybe the best way of doing it in terms of like if you could like draw your own like calendar be like no mm-hmm. I would prefer to have a little siesta in the middle of the day where I can get my run in and then come back to work or whatever right however it seems like if you can handle that schedule mm-hmm. and then do the run after that, as big of a hurdle as that is for a lot of people, once you clear it, it does seem to set you up for success, all things considered. I think so, too. And I think having a coach has really helped with that. Mm-hmm. Like, I think before I had a coach um, and somebody telling me 
what I had to do, there was no accountability to it. So if I'm looking at my sheet of paper that says I need, I'm running eight miles that day, it's, I stick to it most of the time, about 90% of the time, but it's, that's accountability and that's helpful. And especially having friends or community or partner to help get you out the door. Um, I try to do that as best I can. Like this week, my husband's not around, he's out of town. And I'm like, I just need to schedule as many runs with people as possible because I know I will do them. (laughs) So that's always my advice to other people who have a demanding work-life balance is, um, try to find a community and get things on the schedule because then it's, I always feel like crap if I'm backing out of a commitment. And, it's, and according to Strava, it seems like you ran with America's biggest sandbagger, Finn Melanson, just this yes. morning, Just this is morning. always a fun thing. I always say that Finn is like the most in shape at any point in time person and you would have no idea. So he can jump in with any elite runner on any given day and throw down something obscene next to them and be like, oh yeah, that was kind of hard. I'm like you're fine. <laughs> I, was, I was joking with Leah before we before we started recording today, and hopefully Finn is listening to this. If not, I will just clip it and send it to him later. Um, <laughs> but I always I was saying to Leah before, and I said this to Finn as well. The only thing slow about Finn Melanson is his uh, talking cadence. And if you ever <laughs> listen to Finn, listen to the Single Track Podcast. It's one of the best out there, no he's question awesome. about it. Um, but he's great. I just I'm just. I, I couldn't resist. Just <laughs> fun at Finn. I also want to give a shout out to Running Warehouse. I love Running Warehouse. It's the spot where I get all of my running gear online. They have all of the new releases. They have unbelievable sales. They have fantastic reviews on all the shoes. And they have all the updated stats and the information. How a shoe fits. Is it too? Is it really wide? Is it a little bit too long? Do you need to size up, size down? They have all the information that you need. They're getting better all the time. And I just can't recommend it highly enough. I've been a huge proponent of running warehouse for many years it's a website that i literally check every day maybe to my wife's dismay but it's absolutely fantastic you can go check out running warehouse by using the link in the show notes that is an affiliate link which doesn't mean anything for you doesn't change the pricing at all but it does help the show so go use that link in the show also as you may know every single episode that i'm doing an interview I always do my five shoe questions sponsored by Running Warehouse, and that's exactly what we did today. Also, you can check all those out over on YouTube as well at the Rambling Runner YouTube channel. I love the fact that you're able to fit all of this in, and it's extremely demanding work on the running side and demanding work on the professional side. Now, the Roches, both Megan and David, are known for their um, relentless an infectious positivity um, with all of, with all of their athletes. I'm one of their athletes, I should say. David is my coach. Oh, nice. Um, with that said, when did that positivity that Megan you know permeates end up like? I guess like I, I was about to say infecting you in a way. Yeah. <laughs> but I said that's not the right not the right word. But end up like um, did did you just like feel that love of like hey like she's right i can be one of the best in the world at this because you mm-hmm. are one of the best in the world at this and it's an incredible growth trajectory yeah i i would say like 2018 i ran a race here in utah and i think that was like the turn of events for me in terms of performance i had been coached by megan for probably a year and a half at that point and i just remember i had one of these those races that just I I remember my Strava title was like one of those days where the stars align because it was a performance that completely exceeded my expectations and like just blew my mind at that time of what I was capable of. And I just remember Megan saying like, your ceiling is so high and like, we don't even know where that is. And hearing that confidence from your coach and seeing just like the improvement I had in a year and a half, um, was well, it was exceptional and it was really amazing because I'm not naturally a confident person but whenever you hear that from somebody that you have a good relationship with just instills that confidence in you and I would say that was one of the reasons I mean last year was the best year of racing I've had to date and I think a part of that was just walking into the year with a lot more confidence and standing on a start line looking at my competitors and being like I, I belong here just as much as anybody else does. And not just saying it, but actually like believing it for the first time in my life. And I attribute a lot of that to P- 
people who believe in me and put those crazy ideas in my head of what I'm capable of. So yeah, Megan has been a huge proponent um, to my success. I would not be where I'm at without her. And I, I, I just remember the day before Western States last year, she's like, how are you feeling? I was like, I just feel so like practical about this. I feel pragmatic. I feel ready to go. And she's like, that's the best place you can be. And she's like, I love that energy. So, you know, that's like Megan's energy is super high. And like mine on this day, I always tell people it was like super muted, but it was good. And I'm, I'm really excited to see what we put together at Western States this year, because I really think mine and her relationship has evolved a lot, even over the last year in one of the best ways possible. So I think we make a really good team. Obviously, things have really worked out. You've been together for a long time yeah. as well. Uh, what have been the keys to getting the most out of yourself, to, to, to trying to reach that limitless potential? If you look back mm-hmm. at some of the keys for you, not just and it doesn't have to merely be the scope of training. Um, if, if mentally and emotional growth are a key part of that, you know, feel free to, to throw that in there. And I should say, before we get into you, know, you, we, you hinted at the racing side, I would say if people really want to dive into Leah's racing it's not gonna happen on this episode because you know we can't Leah's racing history is too long this isn't gonna be a joe rogan podcast it's not gonna be five hours but you should listen to, he's she's been on single track a couple of times you had a great podcast with devin yanko and women of ultra that's also a great episode so people should check those out um i just wanted to kind of throw that little thing in there in case people are expecting to look at the the race deep dive uh, it's probably not gonna happen in this episode more the training side um but at the same time let's go back to the question what what have been the keys to to really trying to to make the most out of yourself and your fitness? Yeah, I think for me it's been a couple things. One of them is like knowing yourself very well and knowing what you need at a given point in time. So maybe it's a day where you need an extra rest rest day. Maybe it's a day where like you are just deciding to sleep more and taking a couple miles off that run that day. Um, So that's something I really pride myself in is knowing myself well. And this comes to fruition in a variety of ways, but that portion of training I think is really important because I'd much rather show up to the start line undertrained than overtrained any day, fresh mindset, ready to go. It's optimal for me and it keeps me like fighting hard towards the end and not you know, bonking and being miserable for like the last third of a race. Um, So I think that piece has been really, really valuable for me. Um, Another one is avoiding the comparison trap. I'm compared to my competitors. I'm often a lower mileage athlete. Um, I'm never throwing up hundred mile weeks or anything like that. I do train at altitude and in the mountains. So a lot of the elevation gain I get on my runs sometimes takes the place for um, some of those miles, but especially in builds to really competitive races. I try not to compare myself to what other people are doing because I know what I'm doing works for me. It's worked for me historically and we adapt my training plan as necessary, but it's, it's me. It's personalized to me and it works well for me. And I think that's what's most important is not trying to replicate what other people are doing and just really staying true to yourself. Now, I'm so glad you took us here because I really <laughs> want to talk about this because not falling into the comparison trap is hard for all of us, right? Mm-hmm. I would assume it's even harder for you, not only because you're trying to literally beat some of these people, mm-hmm. not just you're comparing yourself to random people. You're comparing yourself to actually competitors that you're going to see at certain races. Um, in addition to that, you are like a self-described like running geek. You love yeah. doing this stuff. You love going on Strava, doing deep dives on ultra sign up, memorizing people's stats. So, and then and then after that, talking about running, doing the the, the pregame like, hey, here's mm-hmm. how I think a race is gonna you know go on the men's side and on the women's side, and then showing up to that race, doing like live play by play at the race. So understanding how people are running is not only like a like significant hobby of yours, it's now morphing into like a little mini part-time job as well, which is really fun and exciting. So how do you not like have that all kind of like combine into comparison trap? Yeah, that's actually, that's a great point And one that's fun to expand on because I think there's pros and cons. Um, so yeah, like you mentioned, I'm a big running geek. I've done commentating at 
uh, several of the golden ticket races this past year. And I'm so passionate about it. I feel like I always tell people, like, I was like, I know way more about you than you probably know about me. And it's embarrassing, <laughs> but I love it. Um, I, I've, I've had similar conversations and it makes people very unnerved. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I would say a con of that is I find that sometimes I limit myself a little bit based on who I'm competing against. So for example, I know so much about runners that I'm like, oh my gosh, that person's so much faster than me. If they go out at a hot pace in a race, I'm like, I should not be with them. So then I sit back and I I found earlier this year, hey, like maybe I shouldn't be basing my effort off of, you know, somebody else and really just truly going off of my own effort. Um, So I feel like that can be a con because it's, I, I limit myself off of who I know is around me and like what I know their general fitness race results have been. Um, so I'm definitely working on that aspect of just like really tapping into myself, my effort, my body, and kind of forgetting about, you know, how fast somebody is in the field and what results they've thrown up and what they've done somewhere and just recognizing, Hey, what works for me right now? I think a pro of that is also the same thing. Like if somebody is, does go off at a pace that's really fast or something like that, like, I know what works well for me. Um, But also it's really fun. I feel like I've gotten to know a ton of people in the community um, by being the running geek that I am and being on the live streams because I've learned so much about them. I've met so many people's moms this year that are like, I've listened to the live stream and like you do an amazing job and I love what you say about so-and-so. And I'm like, that is so cool. So I think this year, and especially since doing some of the ultra commentating, um, I've really invested myself more in the community and made so many more relationships this way. And it's been absolutely amazing. Like, I feel like I'm truly part of the community in a variety of ways and just feeling very interconnected, which is so exciting. And you're fantastic at it. You're great on the podcast. You're great on the live stream. It's, it's great. I mean, I will I will suffer through some of the technological hiccups that happen mm-hmm. with these remote live streams, which are like, they're inevitable and it's no one's fault. But I'm like, I am sticking with it because this is yeah. such good stuff. Um, now, with all that being said, has it gotten easier or harder as you have progressed in your results? In terms, and I say hard, I mean, has it been easier or harder to avoid the comparison trap as you've gotten better and better? Yeah, it's, mm, I think it's actually gotten a little harder. Um, I also think it's hard whenever I'm talking about competitors and like reviewing competitors in a race that I'm not running, but then I go and race against them at Western States, for example. So for example, at Western States, I'm actually not going to participate in the the common race day previews that I do on the single track podcast. Cause I'm like, Oh, just conflict of interest. And I've got other things to worry Are you about. Are going to do like the men's preview either? I don't know. You, you, you I'm debating one episode, but I can see Finn breaking it up into two. Yeah. Yeah. I'm debating if it, maybe just men's, but I'm not going to participate in the women's, but it's funny then because then it's like, Oh, I've been on podcasts before where I've reviewed I mean, so many of the women who are going to be lining up next to me. And so I know their strengths. I know their weaknesses. Um, it's, it's kind of cool. I know their race strategies. So I do think it's been helpful in that respect. Um, I've just been on the ground so much this year that I see how people race and I can almost like predict what will happen at times. So I think that's, that gives me a leg up to some degree. Literally. I mean, you've won, <laughs> you've won fantasy free trail. I mean, this is, yeah. I'm not speaking metaphorically. This has literally happened. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty cool. I mean, but, but, you, but you're so positive too. Like you're like, you know, you're not like hot taking it through it. So right. If Catherine Short sees you on the trail, she'd be like, thank you for all of the wonderful things you said about my oh, training. Yes, exactly. Exactly. All right. So uh, before we talk about the Lululemon launch, which I think is incredibly interesting, one last thing, and you mentioned it before, and I definitely wanted to talk about it because when I first started following you on Strava, I was like gobsmacked by like <laughs> the elevation gain to mile ratio. I'm like, this is like, unbelievable it's like she mm-hmm. ran five miles and climbed four thousand feet like, this is insane. <laughs> uh, again part of this is like if you live in a place you can do that obviously that's ne- that's a necessity but at the same time you don't have to do that like no. there are you can run less hilly routes maybe not pancake flat like you mentioned but there are less hilly routes you could do totally but you also indicated that part of this is just based on like time mm-hmm. and just what your week is like so for the people who are in similar work life situations as you time limited how can upping the elevation gain help someone's fitness and just overall training 
Yeah, I so that's something that I've kind of tweaked with a little bit this year. So I've had a variety of races that have been different. So I did way too cool 50k back in March. And that's generally a flatter, faster race. A lot of my training was flatter and faster. And then um, Western States obviously has some elevation gain. And I found myself this year more than ever, not able to get the elevation gain on the weekdays as much as I would have liked to. Um, so a lot of the runs I've been doing on the weekdays this year are road runs. I've been running from my door more than ever. Um, and just keep... crazy snow this winter too. Oh, I mean, so much snow, <laughs> so much snow. So I barely got on the trails this winter, but a lot of my road runs were, you know, six to 10 miles. And like, those are just so efficient. And then I focus on the weekends then on doing good back-to-back vert days when I have a little bit more time and I can spend, you know, three to four hours on a long run on, you know, Saturday and Sunday, things like that. Something I also found valuable was doing, and I actually did this this weekend, is doing a pretty vert heavy day on Saturday, followed up with a more runnable run on Sunday, because I think a lot of the races that we do that have elevation gain um, and elevation change in general, um, you often have to run later on on fatigued legs at some point during that. So I like to kind of do these back-to-backs where one's pretty verty and then one is generally entirely runnable the next day. I love it. All right. So for you were previously a Solomon athlete. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now you have been a vocal advocate for women in running and just general inclusion with a lot of trail and ultra races as well. You could, you and Devin had a wonderful conversation citing the stats. Uh, I think, you know, there's like 23% of things in the number that Devin put out there in terms of female participation. And I know this just also looking at some of the stuff, the longer the races go, the greater the gender gap is, which is a fascinating thing compared to if you look at like the marathon gender gap, it actually swings more towards the female side than it does mm-hmm. the male side, which is a really interesting comparison there. So when your contract with Solomon is coming to an end and Lululemon reaches out, how did that conversation go, especially in light of the things that you've talked very openly about caring about in terms of like, you know, off the trail type participation that you personally want to amplify? Yeah, it was... Just when I had my first chat with Lululemon, this was back in like November, December timeframe. It was one of the best conversations I've ever had with anybody associated with the brand. And what I loved about it is they knew so much about me and they didn't just know about my performances. They knew about what I did for work. They knew about how I was involved in the community. They knew what I was passionate about. They listened to like, like you did, like they listened to all the podcasts I've been on to find out like what makes me tick and what makes me excited and the things that I want to move forward. So they came to the conversation just recognizing who I was in all facets of my life and telling me like, we've got this project and like, hear us out. It might sound a little wild to you, might not exactly sound in your wheelhouse, but like, we love the science you bring. We love the community involvement you bring. We love every single part of you. And we think that you could be a really exciting partner in this project. And I mean, it was the passion that they spoke with about the project itself, but then about the people involved in the project. It was, I mean, to be honest, it was the easiest sell in my life. I remember like shutting my laptop, looking across the room at my husband and being like, that was the best conversation I've ever had. Because it just felt like, connected on a human level. And like, it was no longer about results and it wasn't about numbers. It wasn't about money. It was about how do we move the sport forward? How do we move women forward? And to me, there's nothing more exciting than that. And we'll get into the further project that you just, you know, hinted at there. But at the same time, it's one thing to have this conversation. Like we, we believe in you. Mm -hmm. We believe in the things that you believe in. Here's what we want to do. Here's how we want to be a part of it and so on and so forth. And to hear those things, you know, step by step by step, here's our mission. Here's how we want to do it. All of that is mm-hmm. one thing. It's a whole nother thing to say, okay, but what is your company doing in this space, right? Like yeah. they are new to this space. Again, Lululemon is an international brand and they're all about, you know, athletics and movement and activity, but they are not all about trail running and mm-hmm. especially and ultra running. So what was it like when, you know, you've kind of decompressed from that conversation and you're like, "Okay, hold on a second here." <laughs> Solomon's <laughs> like the opposite of this, right? Uh-huh. <laughs> they're like all performance, precision, go time. 
right? And you're having these 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 exact conversations you want to have, but with a brand that doesn't have a, a literal and physical foothold, a, a literal and metaphorical foothold in the your sport. So mm-hmm. what was that like once you had to kind of grapple with that fact? Yeah, it was actually a good thing. Uh, one of the things I was thinking about when I was leaving Solomon and like where I was going to go next was one of the top, there's, I had two priorities. One was I want to be a part of something bigger, bigger than myself. Like I want to be a part of a movement. And this was before I knew anything about Lululemon. And then the second thing was I want to be cared about as a human. And those were my two priorities. Like there didn't need to be anything else associated. Give me those two things and I would have been happy. And those were, you know, the two things I heard on day one. And I thought that was really exciting because Lululemon, like they'll be the first to tell you initially, like they didn't know much about ultra running at all. They didn't know much about trail running at all. So the opinions and the diversity of opinions that they're getting, they are truly valuing. And the input that we're providing on product, on events on every aspect of ultra running and trail running like they're taking to heart and they're not just like listening and writing it down they're integrating that and implementing that in so many ways and i think that's really really cool so they came out with their first trail shoe um about almost two weeks ago now and it's a woman first trail shoe which i think is incredible no shoe to date has been designed with putting the woman first and designing it specifically for the female anatomy which is incredible um we're going to be working on a lot of other projects in the upcoming year um catered to the big event further next year as well and what i like about it too is the women that are on the team there's 10 of 10 of the athletes participating next year we are all completely different we are all at various stages of our marathon and ultra running careers and our experiences are vastly different so much so that we all have different opinions and input. So there's no one size fits all solution. They're catering it to the diversity of who we are, which I think is just extremely unique. You don't normally see that uh, with many brands. Yeah, I love that. And talk to me about, I guess this is kind of interrelated to what you just said about them showing you that it wasn't just talk. That yeah. A lot of people can say a lot of great things, especially in the sales and recruiting process. Talk to me about like, hey, show me what you're actually going to do here. How is this going to be real? How is this going to be more than just marketing and hype and is actually going to lead to results and the impact that you say you care about? Yeah, the best example I have of that is just their investment in the science as well. And I haven't really touched on that yet, but they have a partnership with the Canadian Sport Institute, which is um, the projects are going to be led by Trent Stellingworth. And he's just a phenomenal, usually female specific uh, sports science researcher in the endurance space. And I mean, we've already started participating in research protocols that he's adapting to help better understand uh, the female specifics of endurance running, of fatigue resistance. Why is it that this gender gap decreases the longer the race distance gets? Um, so I think that is the bread and butter of like that's that science is so interesting to me. And to see them not just say that, but like day one, we're already participating in research protocols that are going to push the sport further. Like they've provided us with the resources with like a nutritionist, mental performance coach, things like that to ensure that we have all the resources we need to be not just our best versions of ourselves, but also like our best athletic selves as well. So yeah, it's, it's amazing to see that it's, it's not all talk. There are like the science side of things. There's a product innovation where you know, we worked with their product innovation team back in April. Their product innovation team went to their factories for three weeks in Sri Lanka and innovated on all the designs that we talked about and then came back three weeks later in May when we were out there a couple of weeks ago with all the products that they had worked on, like inputting everything that we told them, which is so cool. Like just the fast pace that they're able to work in this space as well to design things for women first. It's, it's so cool. Yeah, that is amazing. And our our coaches, Megan and David Roche, um, talk all the time about have everything related to your three to five year goals and plan mm-hmm. and things like that. So what is your hope for, you know, women's trail and ultra running and the, the kind of impact you hope to have on getting it there? 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I um, I want to keep staying involved on the media side of things. I think there's a huge, there's still a huge gap on uh, women coverage in the sport and having a woman voice leading that um, and bringing women to the forefront. I think like we even see that in the marathon coverage these days where, you know, they're showing oh, yeah. the men's oh, yes. like 10th finisher when, you know, and they could easily do like a split screen, for example. So I want to keep being like an informing voice in that side of the sport. I also want to um, like help leverage our community levels too. So we've got a great community here in Salt Lake City called the Women of the Wasatch, which is a 500 plus member community now where um, there's group runs coordinated, there's social events, there's, it's just a thriving uh, women first community, which I think every big city should have. And we see a lot of that with the Trail Sisters and things like that. Um, So I want to keep being a part of communities as well, because that's part of the reason I entered ultra running in the first place. And it's a part that I'm just extremely passionate about. Um, And then also the science side, science is near and dear to my heart. So making sure I'm participating in research as often as possible. Um, And because I think there's a lot of people actually in the sport of ultra running who are also scientists are also researchers also have a lot of projects going on. So being an active contributor to that side of thing as often as possible, I think is uh, really where I see my part in science. All right. Last question before we get going. Um, and I, I, I meant to ask this question of Stephanie two weeks ago, and I, I didn't, and I don't know why I didn't. Anyway, um, I'm just, I guess I'm so used to talking to Stephanie. We've been friends for a long time. It just completely slipped my mind, but I actually wrote it down over here. So ask Leah this question. Um, we saw this with Colleen Quigley when she signed with Lululemon a couple of years ago. Of like, hey, you know, she does wear Lulu, especially like Lulu attire, right? Mm-hmm. Their apparel is second to none. Everyone knows Lululemon does a great job with apparel, and they have been. And have done that for a long time. On the footwear side, they have introduced footwear. You mentioned a new shoe that's been out for two weeks. How mm-hmm. does your contract with Lululemon work in terms of your footwear of choice, either from a training or racing perspective? I know Colleen's raced in a variety of different shoes. So how does that mm-hmm. work in terms of your whatever you can tell us regarding your contract and your availability for that sort of thing? Yeah, we are. Um, we, we run in whatever works best for us. And we're also informing the design of um, the future uh, version two of the Blissfield Trail Shoe that's coming out next year. So I think that's really exciting. And it's really cool to be a part of the innovation process that's going on with that as well. All right. I said last question, but I forgot to ask. Oh, do yeah. you know what you're going to do next year, 2024, for further? Or do you have... Like again, I know this applies. Obviously, you can't tell us. You guys have always mm-hmm. hinted like there's so much you can tell us, there's so much you can't. But are you starting to get a grasp of what you want to attack in 2024 as part of further? Yeah, Steph and I have actually talked a lot about this because I feel like a lot of our goals are really aligned and our fitness is typically really aligned as well. So not entirely sure what exactly we'll go after yet. I'm thinking about either like a fast hundred mile or 24 hour uh, mileage goal and then keeping some kind of like minimum mileage going for the following five days, let's say. So maybe I hit X amount of miles in 24 hours on day one, recover a bit and then see, you know, can I get to 300 miles by the end of the week? Something like that. <laughs> um, yeah, and maybe you, Stephanie, who's a doctor, and <laughs> Megan, who's a doctor, can have like some sort of like academic slash athletic decathlon as part of further, right? Like who's the best runner slash scientist in the group? Yeah, we can just do relay a relay race. <laughs> relay race slash public paper publication. Yeah. What can you how many papers slash miles can you run in a week? Oh man. It'd be scary. <laughs> Well, Leah, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. This has been an absolute pleasure. I've wanted to talk to you for so long, and I'm just so glad to have you here. Um, before we get going, if people want to learn more about you, is there a certain place they can go? Yeah, I'm on Instagram. It's Leah underscore Yingling, and I'm also on Strava. Those are my two main – oh, sometimes Twitter as well. But, um, yeah, Instagram and Strava are my main platforms. I love it. Leah, thank you so much for coming on the show. <laughs> Thanks, Matt.